0: Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Alex Andreon. with me, representing The Blob, I have Gavin Esler. Good morning, Gavin. How are you? Good morning. I haven't been called a Blob <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Gavin, today is the debate and maybe a vote on the Privileges Committee report on Boris Johnson. Mr Johnson, happy birthday, if you're listening. Um, what do you expect will happen?
1: Well, I hope there's not many happy returns to uh, the number 10 Downing Street for Boris Johnson. Let's put it this way: on this great event, I take a step back and think Boris Johnson has destroyed three Conservative leaders—Cameron, May, and himself. He will destroy a fourth Conservative leader if Sunak doesn't get a grip. And so, uh, I don't know what will happen in the discussions in Parliament. I don't know how various people will vote. But I do think if Sunak doesn't get a grip, this is his great opportunity. He should channel, it's not really for me to advise a conservative leader, but he should channel Maggie Thatcher and think, what would Maggie do? And she would reinvent this party as a party of personal responsibility. And you, Boris Johnson, have not been responsible. And the trouble for Sunak, as we've discovered with previous leaders, is that um John- Johnson when i when i hear johnson i keep i keep thinking of maria and the sound of music you know um well, how do you solve a problem problem like maria you know a Fliberty gibbet, a will o the wisp a, a clown and so you, you solve it by, in the case of a politician, perhaps not in the case of a nunnery, but in the case of a politician, by being really, really tough and making it clear that you, don't, you, you, you reject everything uh, that, that he has done. And the problem is, Sunak has got two audiences here. He's got the Conservative Party, which is a very odd audience indeed, and he's got the rest of the country. And the rest of the country has left Boris behind.
0: It's interesting you should say that there's a, a YouGov poll today, for the Times, and it shows that Sunak is more popular than Johnson, with a net approval rating of minus 23 to minus 39. I mean, more popular uh, being the operative term. But the position is reversed among those who voted Conservative in 2019, with uh, Johnson being on plus 14 compared to plus 7 for Sunak. So I guess that's the conundrum he's trying to solve. Um, Johnson is hugely unpopular in the country at large, but he's still popular with Tory voters. The rumour is that Sunak and most ministers will stay away from the commons. Uh, Sunak is due to meet Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Christensen, uh, which provides him with with sort of good cover. Is that not a mistake, do you think? I mean, my my instinct would be that they all need to turn up and sort of vote en masse for this uh for this report draw a line under the whole affair
1: yeah i mean that's my instinct my instinct for it for absolutely for sunak is this is your big moment this is your moment to say i am not like that i'm not like boris johnson and you know the opinion polls are very interesting because There is a myth within the Conservative Party that Boris Johnson was incredibly popular. He was just less unpopular than Jeremy Corbyn in 2019. Peter Kellner and others have done a lot of research on this. You know, Corbyn had a minus 40 or something uh, approval rating, and Johnson in the December 2019 election at a minus 20 or thereabouts. So this is Sunak's big moment to shine. He has to be ruthless or he will be damned. And this will be a very, very big problem for him. So I I agree with you. Whether he will do it or not, I don't know. And if we are to merely judge him on his five promises and what he said he's going to do, I don't think that that has cut through with the British public, whereas being ruthless with Johnson would do.
0: Going forward, so today will come and go. Going forward, how can Sunak bring the conversation back to policy with the ongoing threat of a weekly Johnson mail column, which will suck oxygen out of the conversation? I mean, I know Johnson did a flimsy, inane thing on Um, weight loss drugs last saturday but i mean my sense is that he will do maybe one more innocuous one and then he will go back to uh, uh, firing torpedoes to the side of this government um so how how do you think he can be neutralized
1: I think I think that is exactly the point, and I agree with you. I think he will do a couple of inane columns and see how see which way the wind blows, and then he will really stick it to Rishi Sunak. And to take on the Mail for a Conservative leader is is quite difficult. Although the Mail may have made a mistake with Johnson, we will see. Johnson's genius, and I, I don't use that word loosely, is the same as Trump's genius, which is to cut through. You know, Hillary Clinton had thousands of words of policy documents. Donald Trump had make America great again and everybody remembers that. Nobody remembers anything really that Clinton Mm. talked about in 2016. And Johnson is very similar. He is very, very good at cutting through politics as usual. So that is the threat to Sunak. What Sunak has got to do is say the grown-ups are back in charge. I'm one of the grown-ups. I'm a decent person. I'm trying to do the best for the country and I've been left. He has to be careful how he says this. But Something very very difficult by the previous leaders because Truss and, and Johnson have uh, have caused us huge problems, and that is difficult. And you say, how do we turn he turn it to policy? I think that's his key problem, because what is Rishi Sunak for? What is he really for apart from managing decline up of the Conservative? Well, I mean, yet? he
0: would re- he would recite his five goals, right? Um, the the question is, how is it going on those five goals? Uh, it doesn't seem to be going great. Uh, I mean, small boat crossings numbers were uh, up again last week. Inflation is very sticky. The Bank of England is due to increase rates again. Mortgages are now a big uh, conversation point. Hunt says he needs to control inflation even if that means a recession next year. So that's the growth goal out the window debt is rising because of course debt payments are also connected to the interest rates so i mean is there a sense where actually all this psychodrama suits the current government quite well because if people started talking about policy and his five goals that's actually an even worse conversation for sunak
1: Yeah, I, th- I absolutely think you're on something there. And it wasn't the other one NHS? Which uh, uh, follow, uh, f-
0: which again are at record.
1: <clears throat> yes, yeah, so it's it, it's very difficult. I don't minimise his difficulty, but that doesn't help him sell uh, himself as a success. I think you're right. But to pick up your point, the other thing he could do, uh, and we will get the. Uh, oh, there's no precedent for this. But he could say that this dishonours list is an absolute shambles and he's not going to have it and people should not have these honours. Now, he won't say it. and I'm sure he won't say it. And precedent would be cited. But precedent is just something that happened in the past. This is unprecedented for... Some some of these people are clearly unqualified to sit in the British legislature for the rest of their lives. And in the case of one person, I think is 29, who could be there for 60 years. So... Uh, Sunak has got the chance to be bold, and this may be his last chance to be bold. Because in terms of his policies, they are, uh, and I'm not minimising the difficulties of any of these. But mm. to pin your pin your hopes on stopping the boats in the middle of summer, when uh, I live on the Kent coast, and I happen to tell you it's a very lovely day here today, and it's flat calm, so there will be boats on the sea. It's very difficult, and the, what he should do is be more bold. Uh, he should say, we are going to reinvent our relationship with the European Union, which will help solve the boats crisis. That's what he should say. It will also help with our economics crisis. It will also perhaps potentially help with the irritation that many people feel about going on those summer holidays and getting stuck in long queues. So there's there's quite a few things he could do, having tied himself to five particular tests, some of which are outside his gift, others of which would, he will fail to do. It um, seems to me to, have been a mistake. But again, I don't minimise his problems. And he can make capital out of um, suggesting that Boris Johnson is finished.
0: Can we talk briefly about mortgages, which um, I would say are about a third of the front pages today, the other two thirds being that CCHQ videos, which we'll, we'll come to discuss next. But on mortgages, there seems to be a very active conversation about how government should help with increasing mortgages. Now, I'm old enough to remember two previous recessions, maybe three previous recessions, and a lot of people losing their homes and businesses because that's what happened. And it seems to me that after the bank bailouts, the pandemic furlough, and help with energy bills, is this a new normal where the state has to step in in all market shocks and downturns and avoid the natural consequences of the bust, as it were.
1: Well, there's there's all sorts of strands here. The one is that we don't build enough houses. Uh, There's nimbyism. Please don't build houses near me. Build them near you. Um, You know, we've got all that. Uh, The second thing is, what is the role of the state in this? And I'm not clear what Sunak thinks about this. Absolutely not clear. I mean, didn't he say that uh, he will grow the economy? Well, again, to go channel Margaret Thatcher, she would say that's not about... um, government growing the economy. It's about Mm. private enterprise growing the economy. I am not clear how he can handle this at all, given that most people don't have a mortgage, actually. And Mm. many people are looking for a place to live at a rent they can afford. So if he bails out, and I I speak as someone with a mortgage, if if he helps people with mortgages, uh, why wouldn't other people feel a degree of resentment about that? Because they can't even get on the mortgage ladder. And now is not obviously a good time. What we're circling around is, what is Rishi Sunak for? Mm. Why is he prime minister? What is he, you know, these five statements of intent, uh, which seem mostly doomed to fail, what is he really trying to achieve? And he could make his mark by being very tough now.
0: Yeah, it, It's very interesting. While you were saying that, um, the, the thought that popped into my head was, of course, that he never had to go through the crucible of an election which would focus what he is for. It would focus his message to the country. He sort of ended up prime minister by default. And maybe that's the reason for for a lack of focus, for a lack of purpose, for a lack of a policy uh, prospectus that this, this government seems to be exhibiting. Now, on that uh, awful uh, conservative headquarters video splashed by the Mirror over the weekend, of a lockdown-breaching party. That reopens both partygate wounds and revives the honours row that you were talking about because there are two people who were at that party, Bailey and uh, Ben Mallett, a staffer, who have received honours. Um, I know what you think should be done on the honours front. Do you think they should be just cancelled? Uh, what should be done on the party gate front, as it were, because everyone seems to be going, oh, this is awful, but sort of nothing to do with us.
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of strands to this too, aren't there? I mean, obviously, we've got the COVID inquiry going on, and you suddenly have a reminder of why this inquiry is so important to get to the bottom of it. And it's there's also structural questions about health in, this, in our country and and what we do about care homes and all that. So that's, that's going on. The second thing is it just reminds us that they're out of touch. These are people who are not obeying the rules like the rest of us, who are not doing things like the rest of us and don't look like the rest of us. And one of the things you have to have in a democracy is a sense that the people in positions of power... Uh, they they get things wrong, but they are somehow in touch with us. And this just looks like another world. So I think this is really, really bad for the Conservative Party. Now, How how Sunak deals with this, what he will do about it, I don't know. But I don't think people just shrug this off. And I think this will go on for as long as the inquiry goes on. And that may be a very long time, maybe even beyond the next election.
0: Yeah, words are different to images, and moving images are different to still images, aren't they? It hit it look, really hard to see it look, an actual video.
1: It looked like the party from hell, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if I was invited, I think I'd make my excuses very quickly and leave. I just can't. I just can't say what how awful it looked.
0: Yeah, um, it, I, I keep telling people who question the relevance of this today and how it's an old story etc i keep reminding people let, let us say that the next health crisis hit today what would public compliance be with lockdown measures um, now that people have seen that video uh, and it would have a significant impact now you mentioned the covid inquiry um i hate to use the term box office but that today's David Cameron, tomorrow's George Osborne, the day after is Jeremy Hunt. Um, they're giving evidence. Why? They were not on the scene when the pandemic happened.
1: Well, I think there's a number of things here. Um, what worries me about all these people appearing a, before an inquiry is that they will all talk in the passive. Mistakes were made. People were in power. People made mistakes. and. If you look at uh, the Marmot review in 2010 of health in this country was talking about in 2010 was talking about essentially how well we were doing. We were doing quite a lot for improving the health of people particularly in less well-off areas and particularly for women in less well-off areas. By 2020 when uh, 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 Marmot repeated his review or or recalibrated it looked at how we were doing between 2010 and 2020 so before covid struck our healthcare outcomes were much worse than they had been 10 years before so it wasn't that even that we were progressing we were going backwards so something had changed between 2010 and 2020 and i'll leave it to listeners to think about what might have changed but the people in charge of that change were included David Cameron and Hunt and so on. So our healthcare, as we know, is under real pressure now. I think this uh, this inquiry will be very, very useful, not just into COVID, but just what what do we want from our healthcare system? What kind of healthcare system do we want? How do we reinvent it to be prepared? And how do we not take our eye off the ball? And I just know they're going to talk in the passive Uh, mistakes were made so it wasn't me but it will be some people who were responsible and they are some of the people we'll be hearing from this week
0: Mm, i think you i think you're being very optimistic thinking that anyone will admit there were even mistakes made in the passive but we shall see Um, (laughs) there was a little bit of gossip last week more than there has been before about sunak calling an early election maybe in october Do you think there is any chance of that? I guess the the theory is that if everything is set to get even worse, um, you know, while there was some hope that things might get better and he might look as if he's sort of going towards achieving his goals, then playing for time made sense. But if everything is going to get worse, then maybe you at least use the systemic advantage of the surprise election.
1: Well, I, I think this is a case where I'm less optimistic than you are. I think that would be a plan. I think, on the other hand, what this is about is that uh, we've got a couple of by-elections coming up. Uh, and what Sunak has to say is within the party, given that the party is a very odd audience in compar- comparison to the British people. He can say, it could be really bad, these by-elections, if they're really, really bad. And I call a general election, even you my dear friends in uh, backbenchers, you could lose your seat as well. So I think it's a threat, and I think the threat of having an election is enough to keep conservative backbenchers uh, in line, and I think that's, that's what's happening.
0: Mm. So discipline tool, I, I, I hadn't thought of that. I think that's, that's a good punt, actually.
1: Well, we, shall, we shall see. But I, I think as a prime minister, if you think you're going to lose, you would want to hold on till the last possible moment. And we all remember, you know, Gordon Brown, remember the, the time when the, all the headlines said Brown bottled it because he did actually think he would lose and he went went up to the, the, the last moment. I don't think Sunak is quite as, uh, as, as clever as, as Gordon Brown, but we, we, we shall see about this. But I think definitely it's a good way of keeping people in line.
0: Now, Labour in Scotland today announcing their new energy policy, which is not popular with all their supporters. Um, but there was a poll out over the weekend again showing them doing very well in Scotland, better than they have done in many, many years. Obviously, tied to the trouble that the SNP is having at the moment. Does does the possibility of a sort of a handful of Scottish seats? change the calculus for Labour significantly?
1: I think it does, actually. I think it changes a lot of things. I, um, you know, published a book uh, about 18 months ago called How Britain Ends, and part of it was about the rise not just of Scottish nationalism, but also of English nationalism. And Boris Johnson was seen as the ultimate English nationalist. He spoke for England. He didn't speak for many people in Scotland or Northern Ireland or, or, or Wales, actually. Um, and, you know, the Conservatives showing in Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales for various reasons in different places is not high. Let's put it that way. Um, Labour had a problem because Labour were down to just one seat out of 59 in Scotland. And when I published that book, I talked to a couple of very prominent Conservatives um, who are very well known in Scotland independently. And I said, what would save the union of the United Kingdom? And both said independently, a Labour government which I thought was very interesting. And so uh, Labour has refreshed itself in Scotland. Anna Sawa, who is a new Labour leader, relatively new Labour leader I talked to recently, was very optimistic. He wouldn't put a figure on how many seats that he thought they might win, but people are talking about that the opinion poll suggests more than 20 out of 59 seats. And that would be a huge benefit, obviously, to the potential for a Labour government. As to the question about oil and and extractive industries and so on, uh, Kiristama has got a difficult job here, obviously, which is – the oil industry is hugely important in Scotland, but so also across the country are questions about um, uh, about the environment. So he's trying to say there will be plenty of new jobs. We Why don't we make, for example, uh, uh, more equipment for wind power and other things? Why don't we have more onshore wind and so on? He's trying to balance that. And the polls seem to be looking very good for him, partly because of the meltdown in the SNP, which may not,
0: of course, continue mm. up to the election. Yes, and he's saying today that that all of this will be administered from Scotland, which I think is a quite a smart thing to say we will take with one hand, but we will give with the other. Um, let's look a little further afield just to round off today. Um Ukraine seems to be making painstaking progress in recapturing ground, sort of village by village and outpost by outpost. Is it slower than anticipated or is, or, or is it one of those things th- that will be a tipping point rather than a curve? Once they break through, um, things might unravel quite quickly. But before that point, it's just a, a grinding process, do you think? Horrible, horrible.
1: Uh, grinding process. I mean, a lot of this for me, is the fog of war. I've read lot lots of stuff about it. I'm of course, very interested in that. I you know, uh, Ukraine must not lose, and Russia must not win. And the question is, uh, is there a way of getting Russia? to stop without utterly humiliating Putin, uh, I mean, much as I would like to, what does one do? So I think the West has got to continue to supply Ukraine as much as possible, to be offer as much diplomatic support as possible, to say to the South Africans and others who think they might be interlocutors in this, yeah, pl- essentially, please keep going, there may be a way out of this diplomatically, although I can't, I can't see it, I'm not smart enough to see what we can do. And also to be aware that on the ground, I mean, it's not just the use of the Wagner Group and, and others, but the divisions within Moscow are undoubtedly real. I mean, there are big power centers in Moscow, the FSB, the intelligence service, the army and Prigozhin and the, 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 the Wagner Group and, and others. And I noticed he, he was suggesting that th- I think some 30,000 of his, quote, veterans are being able to go back home to Russia. These are criminals, You know, by definition, they are criminals. So lucky Russia, they get 30,000 of their criminals back who are not on the front line. So I I, I have no idea uh, beyond the hard slog that it is and the possibility of other horrors like the dam, which has been destroyed by the Russians, what will happen to the nuclear plant and so on. Um, But this will go on for a very long time. And so therefore, the West has just got to make it clear that we have no interest whatsoever in abandoning Ukraine, and we will support them to the end. And I think that's as much as we can do. As for what's happening on the ground, I mean, I'm as befuddled as as the rest of us. It does look like a very, very hard slog for for the Ukrainian troops.
0: Um, And the other big thing um, going on at the moment, which is related tangentially, is that Antony Blinken is visiting China. This is the highest contact between those two governments for a, for a very long time. Why is this visit important?
1: I think it's hugely important. I mean, we may not find out much about it, and there may be some bland diplomatic statements about it. We've had a lot to discuss. I, I, I don't know. But I think it's hugely important that Blinken is engaging with, with, with China, not just about Taiwan. But I was talking to a former very senior diplomat recently, and I said to him that one of the problems it seems we have in the West is that we have leaders like Johnson and Trump who are brilliant at manipulating the following day's headlines, but the Chinese are very, very good at thinking in terms of the next generation. And he responded to me by saying, that's true, but because we have such a diversity of opinion, And we have, you know, we have all the problems of democracy about making up a mind what to do, at least people hear different opinions and Xi Jinping over COVID, and over other things does not hear that diversity of opinion and Mm -hmm. neither does, uh, does Putin. And so I think Blinken's task is to offer a really serious diversity of opinion to the Chinese leadership over Taiwan and other matters, bearing in mind that, as you know, that the American emphasis is to have make sure that there is less dependence upon those things which are manufactured in China. So... Um, There is a prospect of conflict. There is a prospect of conflict over Taiwan. There are some, I I talk to people who've talked within just a few years, the Chinese could uh, invade Taiwan and and try to take it over again. But there is equally an opportunity here to instill a sense of, again, firmness with the Chinese uh, that has not been obvious until now. And any engagement in this, it seems to me, is a great idea.
0: And that's it for today. I declare you ready to start your week. If you enjoyed this, remember to tune in for another bunker tomorrow. And you can support our getting up at 6 a.m. to do this for as little as £3 a month on the funding platform Patreon, which will get you early access to ad free episodes plus a shout out on this show. To wit, here's Gavin with today.
1: <laughs> and I should say, I get up at 6 a.m. anyway. But <laughs> our great thanks to Rebecca Bennett. Joe Durrant and Andy Scott.
0: Thanks for listening to Start Your Week. Have a good one.
1: Start Your Week with The Bunker was written and presented by Alex Andreu and Gavin Esler. The producer was Liam Tate with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, the group editor is Andrew Harrison, with music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a
0: Podmasters production.